Hello and welcome to the Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Rupert McConnick, founder and EP at Seville Productions. today to have Diane Holdorf, Executive Vice President, World Business Council for Sustainable Development. Welcome, Diane. It's great to have you as a guest. How are you? Great, Rupert. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here together today. So just jumping in, tell us about your background. How did you come to work at the WBCSD and, and into your role with the organization? Where, you know, where are you from? Where's the I don't think a lot of people would necessarily know the organization. So maybe tell people a little bit about that as well. That'd be great. You know, I started my career in consulting. I spent almost 20 years in consulting in global roles, working with companies across all different sectors, primarily on environmental liability, risk and opportunity areas. I then moved into corporate where I worked for the Kellogg Company in a role that was really just starting to be shaped at the time. How do you integrate sustainability into company strategy and execution while still managing issues like environmental performance, health and safety, et cetera? And it was really, it was while I was at Kellogg that I got to know this organization called WBCSD. The Kellogg company was getting ready to announce new commitments. They wanted to bring it into the climate cop to create a stage on which to bring focus into some of the big climate driven priorities around agricultural at that point. And WBCSD was, as I came to know through other peers, the go-to platform for connecting business ambition and these new types of initiative spaces into the big global platforms where decision makers and influencers and leaders needed to understand both what was possible and what was appreciated so that companies could move forward with their agenda. And that really appealed to me. So I kept working with them while I was at Kellogg. But when an opportunity came up to join WBCSD and expand that ability to transform systems and connect the business priorities and business action and leadership into what it takes to fit in with these systems that have to be transformed, that was a great opportunity. And that's where I came to join the organization. Wonderful. And where are you based? I'm now based in Geneva, Switzerland, but I'm a New Yorker by birth and have lived in a lot of different places. So it's nice to be living here. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful place. So there's no common definition of purpose. How does the WBCST define it? And what role does the organization play in helping your members integrate purpose into their business strategy? Yeah, we really look at the fact that business has a key role to play to transform the systems that we work with in the areas of climate, nature, and equity, and to understand what the role is in engaging capital markets through just transparency and disclosures and cost of capital decision-making to be sure that business is prepared and the stakeholders that it serves are prepared for the action that we need to take on these big crises. So when you start to convert that as a business into what does this mean for my strategy? What does this mean for what I need to operationalize? How does this create differentiated value? And of course, what are the risks I have to be able to prepare for? That's when you understand what it is that is core to your business. And that is how we look at purpose. Wonderful. So a company's role in society is increasingly coming under scrutiny, particularly in the US, where some high-profile brands have been called out by politicians for pursuing what critics would call a woke agenda. 
How would you respond to these criticisms? And what are business reasons for addressing issues like climate, nature, and equity? It's interesting because when you start to come under attack for something like this, you realize that vested interests perceive a threat. And you start to understand what are the dynamics that are moving the system and what's really at the heart of the challenges. Really, if we strip back some of the political overlay of which there always is, um, and the complexity, which frankly, environmental and social and governance issues represent for most people, and just dig into what does business need to be held accountable to do and what underlines its credibility in taking those actions, you start to understand where the underlying actions still need to be, despite some of the concerns from different stakeholders on the agenda, which is really driven a lot on the equity and climate areas, but not only. And, you know, business doesn't want to be a target in this area, but they also need to do actions required to respond to meaningful risks today for their performance and weather-related challenges, supply disruptions, increasing cost of access to ingredients and materials are all very real, very current business challenges. Having access to a strong workforce and a group of purchasers of goods and services who can afford what those are and, and can be making the types of decisions that will access those, those goods and services are also core to business. And this whole space is a massive driver of innovation as well. And that's where business sees opportunities. So I think we haven't done a good enough job of pulling back from the rhetoric and looking at what is the underlying business decision-making and opportunity space that these topics represent. Why are people concerned? But equally, what does business have an accountability to respond to and deliver against? And where does that create opportunity as well? And then just to specifically the energy transition that's taking place in the U.S. What are, what are the climate, nature, and equity issues that transition would exacerbate? And why are these issues core to, to, to address within a company's business strategy? I mean, we're, we are at a strange time because there is going to be quite a lot of displacement and change. Um, and obviously, some people may be left behind. You're really keen in, Rupert, on the issue behind this the just aspects of the transition and climate equity and social equity are key to some of the decision-making factors that are going to have to go forward. And people, I think, are understandably concerned. Business hasn't always had a great track record, but nor has government in some of its decision-making for where these um, investments need to be made. However, the transition to renewables is an area for job growth. It's an area for innovation. It's a challenge for placement. It's a challenge for communities to understand what's the best use of their space and their energy sourcing. There's big cost implications for both individual consumers and companies as we go through these transitions. And how that gets financed is going to be key in answering some of the challenges that you raised. I actually think the United States is in a really interesting place right now with the Inflation Reduction Act driving real financial incentive into accelerating the investments that are needed to move into better infrastructure for renewables, to decarbonize businesses in ways that can be planned better, 
and to provide the funding that allows these things to be taken with better decision-making jointly with partnerships with government, including down to local location decision-making, which comes to the nature question that you asked, as well as for what are the implications for people? What are the costs? What do we need to do from a timing standpoint? I think it's going to take even more coordination, however, than what we have today. I think we're going to have to see decisions based on current infrastructure, how we roll out of some and into new. Is that micro or macro? Are we going to start generation at people's houses and in community centers? Are we going to have targeted locations with big solar fields and wind fields? What does that mean for communities acceptance and permitting requirements for those. But, you know, that's a lot of the job creation opportunity and a lot of the movement that we can see for where money will flow through the system as well. So I think like everything, we've got the incentive starting to be put into place, how it gets planned for, and then how the stakeholders come together around the decision-making is, I think, going to be key. How do we make sustainability something that, you know, that everyone feels is critical? Because at the moment, it's not it's a slow-moving challenge. <laughs> and it's not a challenge that people directly feel is happening right now because it's such a slow-moving challenge. And it's also when one starts talking about solar fields and energy and, you know, redoing the grid. By nature, it's, it's sort of macro issues. And often, you know, it, it's a fairly dry topic. <laughs> like rebuilding infrastructure is quite dull. So... How do we make sustainability? I mean, the very word is a little dull. How do we make it more engaging and a little bit more, you know, um, something that people want to get on board? I wish we all had the answers to this because we could unlock this so much faster. You know, there's a group of folks who believe that there's, as influencers start to capture this and understand this, that's the way we can move this forward. I think there's a lot of people, particularly young folks. I mean, our our kids and their peers are really concerned about their future in a world with rising temperatures and increasing loss of biodiversity risk and increasing inequity. They really question what does it look like for them? And what are we as, you know, what are, what are we together all going to do about it? So I think it's a balance of what's the decisions everybody can be taking? What's the awareness around the urgency of the challenge? How do we start to build understanding of what kind of changes are required? Because it's not just one fix. Yes, it's infrastructure, but yes, it's also the food that we choose to eat. And yes, it's also the vehicles or transport that we choose to drive and provide. It's the costing and financing for those transitions that governments enable and how businesses prioritize investment and decision-making. All of this is going to have to play a role, which is why I think it gets to be so complicated to understand. I'm not a believer that we need to put the burden for all of this change on individuals. I think that some of the macro decision-making needs to be incentivized and take place at the business and government levels so that people don't actually have to make decisions and can just improve through their choices um, the actions that they're taking. But at the same time, just finding ways to build awareness, build education, build understanding, it's going to be really key, I think, Rupert. Wonderful. So what role does WBCSD play in helping their members address these issues? The thing that WBCSD does is it pulls companies together across value chains to understand what collectively can they do faster. What's the decision-making tools, the 
key performance indicators for investment decision-making, the guidance and the frameworks that they can take and implement through their supply chains, their business operations and their supply chains to go faster. And it's by pushing on that ambition and working that together so they can all then go and implement faster that we work hard to drive that transition. But then equally, it's bringing some of these other key stakeholders in, like what is what do we need to have happen in order for this to go faster? But companies, you know, the leading, we've got about 225 companies. They've all signed on to membership criteria that shows they have to prove progress against these key areas and challenges to give some credibility to the work that we do. And they're here because they're already starting to operationalize sustainability through their business. So this is all around how do we continue to ratchet that ambition and how do we go faster? And how do you see the role of corporate purpose evolving over the next three to five years? I think we're going to continue to see this embed in that how and what companies are doing. So they've always, companies have always had focus. They've always prioritized decision-making. This is going to be an important lens through which priorities get set and investments get made. And by staying true to what their core service is to shareholders, to their stakeholders, and to the communities which they serve and in which they operate, and taking into consideration how those decisions affect those as well, that's where we're going to start to see this move forward, I believe. Um, and what advice would you give uh, to young professionals looking to implement more purpose-driven work in their companies? You know, everybody's voice matters on these topics. And the more voices you can bring together, the more action and movement you can see. So it's all, it is, you know, we touched a little bit, Rupert, already on individual decision making and choices and how what we choose can make a difference. But when it comes to the workplace, who you choose to work for, the types of projects that you help to shape, and the, um, some of the attributes of what those projects need to be considering, how you advocate for that. I think that the younger, um, workforce is more educated on these topics than those who've been in the workforce 25, 30, 35 years. By advocating and raising that awareness and embedding it into things that they're working on and creating a different expectation for what good looks like when delivering that, that can make a really big difference. It can be hard to have that be the single voice, though. So coming together, bringing your peers together, finding those advocates in leadership who can sponsor and, and help to bring those messages forward are really important steps often as well. Wonderful. What are the key brands that you work with who are, do you feel, are sort of the most evolved when it comes to sort of corporate purpose? I think that we tend to look to the consumer-facing brands, and that makes sense because that's where consumers are familiar with organizations who are doing great work. But there's a lot of companies who may not be known to consumers who equally are working hard to drive investments into the types of transformations that we need to see, be it on renewables or supply chain sourcing diversity or material diversity and and renewable um, recycling and circularity. These all are are different businesses, had different areas that they're working on. It's hard to call out just one. You know, one of the things that I think makes a WBCSD member company stand out is because they've already agreed that this is a priority for their business. And they're already taking action. They want to work with others to do more. 
So we've got the companies that you would recognize across these value chains, but then the names and the regions of leaders. Yeah, there's some surprises in there as well, I'd say. What are the surprises? There's organizations like um, JSW in India who sells into the U.S. market. That's why I'm bringing them up, who are the fastest at bringing renewable energy into greening the steel supply chain in the world right now. You know, that you would never have heard of them. You don't know about that. The U.S. companies can learn from that and begin to apply it. There's companies like PepsiCo who are completely and uh, ADM who are revitalizing how they engage with farmers and farmer communities and regenerative agricultural practices that I think is really telling. You've got organizations like GE who are creating changes in how the materials used for renewable energy are being supplied. There's a lot of different types of ways of looking at what's needed in these spaces. Wonderful. So, Diane, it's been lovely having you on. Thank you very, very much for joining us for the podcast. Uh, It's been very educational and insightful. So thank you very much. Great. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It's been great speaking with you, Rupert. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. Learn more about Seville Productions and our work in the purpose and sponsored entertainment space at www.sevilleproductions.com. 